Welcome to Manager Tools. And welcome back, everybody. Last week, we went through a number of questions, and we have some more. So this is uh, kind of part two of the Q&A for onboarding. Okay, do I need to specify the onboarding process? Or is it enough to insist that there is a process and that the hiring manager determine the process and present it to me for input? You could do either. I would not um, specify specifically the onboarding process uh, simply because your managers can do it. I would bless what all of my managers do. Or put differently, let's assume I have five direct managers reporting to me. And let's say roughly each one of their onboarding templates has a hundred tasks in it. I might very well say to all of them, 75 of these tasks are non-negotiable. The other ones, maybe roughly 25 for each of you, are all up to you. Okay. But I expect to see an automated report come out of any onboarding system that you use for your people. I expect my 75 things to be passively for i want to be aware of them passively i don't want to have to come find them i don't have to go dig up the spreadsheet i expect them to be sent up to me on a weekly basis so that i can look at status and if i'm smart if you're smart you'll send it to me in the form that it's live or not not live but i can click a link and i can go and look at it in more detail rather than the bit that shows up in my email and if you've done this 50 times what you do is you say, hey, guys, you guys need to come up with your own onboarding process. Here's the one I use. <laughs> Steal this one. And then you'll find out who does better with it and updates theirs more and stays more current and more fresh and, um, and ends up doing a better job. And then hopefully, again, you'll be sharing ideas across all the different peer managers who report to you. Okay. What should the onboarding process be for a transfer from a different part of the organization? or for hiring a contractor that has already been working with a group for months or years. Okay, so let's take transfer from a different part of the organization. In my mind, this is the same question as a contractor. You bring somebody in from another part of the organization, and what you do is uh, maybe a week before, maybe when you decide, I decide I'm gonna hire Mark, Mike, or I'm gonna offer him, I do, you know what? I think he's gonna say yes. I've got 30 minutes sitting on the train on the way into work this morning, I'm going to print out every single task in the onboarding process and then go through and put a red line through everything that doesn't apply to Mike because he's already an employee. And there's my process. That's it. Similar thing. I think the hiring a contract that's already been working with the group for months or years, very same thing or an amalgam of what we previously said about contractor and about what I just said about coming over from a different part of the organization. Here's the key. Remember, all of these situations still adhere to the fa same basic tenet of onboarding, which I bet none of you heard from anyone else but us when we first mentioned it a couple of weeks ago in the first cast on onboarding. The purpose of onboarding is to speed up effectiveness. Okay, It is not to administratively input somebody into the organization. That is a mistake that happened because managers weren't doing our jobs. HR was, their head was on the block to do something and HR took it over. And to be fair, kudos to HR. You know, people say, oh, HR, you know, they, they demand all this stuff. Yeah, part of the reason they demand is A, they can get away with it. And B, managers aren't doing nothing. 
to really take charge and say, this is important to me. The half an hour I spend here is going to save me hundreds of hours over the years if I'm good at retaining somebody. And I darn sure I'm going to be good at retaining somebody because it's the second most important thing I do for the organization. And then the question goes on, what should onboarding for contract employees be like? Well, we've talked about that already. Our contractor typically worked for us for six months to five years. 40% are hired in eventually. Again, it's simply a subset of the larger list. And I don't want you to think that you're just going through a list, checking things off. And you'll see when we publish our list there, there are things like go get a badge. Okay. But there are also things like sit down with your boss and learn the ethical principles, how we run the office. Maybe that's a 15 minute or 20 minute call. And maybe the email that goes out with it includes the deck that you use for ethics briefings. And maybe the security badge one is not on the internal guy, or it's slightly different to translate or to transfer from a contractor badge to an employee badge. Maybe contractors don't need to pass a lie detector, but employees do. Stuff like that. So that'll be in there, but there'll be other stuff. Maybe you don't need original copy of their social security card because they already had it. They already gave it up when they became a contractor. Right. Well, it's a lot easier if you, if, if when the contractor came on board, you went through the onboarding process, right? Then there's just, there's just a difference between the two lists, right? Those things that only apply to contractors. Kim Mirabelli asks, my biggest pet peeve with onboarding is that managers think HR is to do it. Yes. I would love to see you address this and demonstrate that it takes a village to onboard our employees. But most importantly, the hiring manager needs to be the maestro of it all. I probably wouldn't be, you know me, I'm a bit of a blunt instrument, so I wouldn't say maestro, but yeah, Kim and I are in violent agreement, and I think this is a a first that I'm in agreement with HR. Yeah, well, I think I just covered that, right? Managers abdicated, HR rushed into the power vacuum, managers weren't told by their executive forebears that we onboard people to get them up to speed faster so we can all make more money and be more successful and make the shareholders richer and hire more people and continue doing it and have fun at work. And HR said, well, we have to give them security. We have to give them badges. We have to teach them all this stuff about sexual harassment and uh, travel and uh, all kinds of stuff. And so they took it over. And by the way, because HR is a staff adjunct of a much higher level person than the average manager, HR speaks with that person's authority. Sometimes they should, sometimes they shouldn't. But yeah, the responsibility is absolutely the manager's, even though, Kim, to be fair, organizations act as if that's not so. But if you talk to an intelligent executive, they'll say, heck yeah, it's your responsibility. This guy's going to work for you? You're going to reap the benefits of him being good or not good? Yeah, it's your responsibility. And if you need me to tell you that, you're not smart enough to be a manager around here. And... The manager ought to be aware that if HR has filled the power vacuum and the manager now takes over and says, I am now responsible for my people's onboarding, you're making a mistake to poke the bear. I mean, HR is the bear here. If HR is responsible for three or six things, whatever, let them think they're in charge of everything. They're certainly not down there in the trenches with you running everything. So don't tell them about the other steps. And if one of your people who's going through onboarding says, hey, I'm sorry, you guys said this training was only an hour. I have another meeting in 15 minutes with my boss. 
well, you can't leave that. The training's not over. I said, I'm sorry. My bo- I have a meeting with my boss. It's part of the onboarding process. HR says, no, it's not. No, it's not. Actually, yes, it is. We have an additional checklist. And you guys told us it was only an hour. And I know you started late and everything, but I got to go. Now, if HR makes you come back to that meeting and you work for me, I might very well go to my HR business partner and say, you need to change that because you guys said you needed him for an hour. I sent him for an hour and 15 minutes. It's reasonable for me to assume that you're done. You don't get to play fast and loose with my guys. I need him back. I got stuff they need to do. And hopefully I have a good relationship with HR and I can get away with talking that way to them. But yeah, it's your job, managers, not HR. HR plays a role. The better the relationship you have with HR, the more likely their role is to be completely integrated into yours. And the more you do in onboarding, the more HR will like you, and the more they'll include the stuff you're doing in HR, in onboarding stuff they do with other managers, which will benefit you as well. At Dual Ranger asks these questions. What would you do if your business or firm didn't have its own onboarding policy? What would you have to consider when developing an onboarding program if your business didn't have its own? I'm not really sure how to answer these. They're sort of esoteric and theoretical. What would you do if your business or firm didn't have its own onboarding policy? Well, I'd create one. What would you have to consider when developing an onboarding program? Well, that's why there's manager tools. And I think starting next week, we'll start laying out all the tasks in a generic onboarding template that will then be in a smart spreadsheet that will allow you to keep track of it with green and amber and red and so on. But what you'd have to consider is anything that is administratively or organizationally required for employment, in addition to anything you wish to train or develop the person in, starting from the moment you make the offer until, let's say, a full 90 days in, with the goal of making the person at 90 days as productive as you could possibly make someone without everybody stopping work and training that person for 90 days. So a pretty straightforward one there. Okay. John Strohmeyer, you mentioned that the onboarding process lasts 90 days. Is this a fixed 90 days, or could a new hire advance through all the steps and be done earlier? <laughs> okay. Let, yeah, let's take these one at a time, because I think John has a bunch. Is this a fixed 90 days? Could a new hire advance? I, I suppose, hypothetically, a, a very motivated high performer could could in fact advance through all the steps of the process earlier. And I think to some degree that would be in a way good, but we're talking about potentially a hundred steps. Now these steps, when I talk about steps, you'll discover when we start walking everyone through it, they're pretty small. We don't have a step like get everything done in HR. Because if there are nine things to do with HR, signatures to find, notary documents to get, social security cards to take pictures of, passports to, all those things depending upon your particular situation, that's not one task, it's many. And that makes project management, and that's what this is. It's a effectiveness project, and you're managing it. If you're the hiring manager, you want to keep track of all of the tasks and you don't want confusion about what's done, what's not done. So yeah, you could probably be done earlier, but with the amount of steps that I have, I don't think that somebody would get much more than 15 days earlier. And I don't mind that there's a hundred steps in the first week or two that most people are in most jobs. 
that I know of, there, there are some exceptions in certain industries, they're not anywhere near productive. Not, I'm not talking highly productive. I'm talking about productive. They're way below the mean. They have plenty of time to do tasks, which they have to do anyway. So you might as well get them done as soon as you possibly can. And then his question goes on, if you don't mind, Michael, say, um, sure. is there any magic to the 90 days? Could it be longer or shorter? Sure it could. I'm not going to fall on my sword about 90 days. The point we're making with 90 days is it's not 15 or 30. And if you make it 15 or 30, it has been our experience, and I've probably seen, I'm going to guess that I've been involved with, helped develop, personally onboarded, or watched masses of people be onboarding at big consulting firms, big summer hire programs, and so on, over a thousand people. And the mistake that many people make is, let's get them through as fast as possible. And so the first 15 days, all they do is admin. That's it. Admin, security, organizational stuff. And then they come to their desk. And then they start, quote, working, unquote. Well, that's not the way to do it. You don't want to be an either or, all admin, let's get it all out of the way. Um, first of all, some of the admins, some of the stuff you can do that's organizational, you can do before somebody gets... Uh, comes to work the first day. I know, don't lose your minds. Some of you will say, no, we can't do that in my company. Okay, sorry. There are ways to get it done and your company is not advanced enough yet. Sorry, some companies are. And could you possibly get it done in 60 days? Sure. Mike, what's next? What things can we do during the interview process to streamline the or onboarding process? <laughs> Nobody's going to like this answer, but Ask better interview questions to eliminate the possible bad hires you'll make when you don't give, you don't build a high enough wall around your existing team and you say yes to somebody because you're desperate to hire, only discover that it was a false positive and you should have never hired that person. And now you're going to have to put a lot of resources into their onboarding and they will never achieve high level of, of high levels of effectiveness. And if you knew that somebody was not going to achieve high levels of effectiveness, you would slow play, soft pedal, and basically mail in any onboarding program. So what you can do during the interview process, sounds terrible to say it this way, is learn how to interview. And that means a very tough interview where the purpose of the interview is to say no, so that when you finally get to someone who's a yes, they stand out so distinctly, everyone will be begging to help them be onboarding because you'll know that, the, you're, that that person is going to make the team better just by being there on day one. Is it ever appropriate to suggest or even require that new hires do certain things during the period between the offer acceptance and the start date? Sure. I don't know that appropriate is the right word. I mean, some people would say, I'm not sure it's legal. Of course, there's all kinds of things you can do. I mean, I don't think the law says you can't give a guy an email address for your company. Now, your IT people may say, nope, sorry, that requires security protocols. We can only store that mail here because we have an archiving responsibility. I'm not going to get into all the detail, but that's not a question of appropriateness. That's a question of corporate policy and security and so on. Well, as an example, could, could you, onboarding a new manager, could you make it required that they read the effective manager before the start date? There's an example. Well, I would. <laughs> <laughs> of course you would. But, but of course, at that point, it would be rereading because I would never hire a manager who come to work for me who did, hadn't read my book. Oh, Not because nice. I think my book is all that good, but because, gee whiz, if you know I wrote a book and you're interviewing to come to work for me as a manager reported to me. You might want to have had read how it. How could you not have read the book? 
But could I tell him, I need you to have listened to these 30 or 40 podcasts. I need you to be ready to start rolling out the Trinity when you come to work. Yeah, you absolutely could. I, I would. And if somebody said, yeah, I'm not sure I have the time for that. I would say, wait, you, you don't start for 60 days. I'm asking for 30 hours, which is a half an hour a day on your commute. I, look, I... I can be a little bit flexible, but I'm not even considering weekends and so on. But, okay, I'll tell you what you can do. You can get through 15 hours, and then your first day on the job, the next 15 hours, or the first two days on the job, you can just sit at your desk and listen to podcasts. <laughs> yeah, so, sure, I would require some things be done. And if somebody said no, I'd have a serious concern, and I would feel like I failed the process of hiring. Okay. Alan Gott asked the following question. During that period of waiting for the candidate to decide if he accepts the offer, so this is before the, the offer has been accepted, what constitutes grounds for revoking the offer? Should the hiring manager- Anything you want. Okay. The understanding that people have about offers, I don't know how this is onboarding. I think somebody slipped one underneath the tent flap, but that's okay. Yeah, no, you can absolutely rescind the offer at any moment. You know, a classic example would somebody tell would be somebody told you an off-color joke, or they mentioned, "Wow, you know, I'm glad I'm through that. I was thought I thought you'd find out that I was getting fired from my present job," and you feel they lied to you. Say, "Well, I'm I'm sorry, I'm rescinding the offer." Wait, you already gave it to me. I already accepted. Yeah, that's verbal, and we don't do written offers, and there's no legal requirement to do written offers, and this is an at-will program, and. So, no, you're not coming to work for me. Um, now, he goes on to say, should the hiring manager poke on new discovered behavior evaluations if she smells them raising from the conversations during that period? Um, sure, I would. I'm, I'm not going to tell you to go poking and continue the interview process. In fact, we generally recommend in the first part of the interviewing process, the hiring process, which is interviewing, you're looking for weaknesses. Once the person accepts, you're thinking about strengths and how to deploy those strengths. But that doesn't mean you're blind. If a weakness becomes a, has a concern, if there's suddenly a gray area for you and you want to poke and prod a little bit, there would be nothing wrong with doing that. And you would be able to say, you know what, I'm sorry, I've just discovered something that I have to say no to. And I apologize because I know you were interviewing with other companies, and you've probably said yes. And if I need to call them and tell them you're not standing candidate and just didn't work out with us, and to get you back your offer, I'll be happy to do that. But yeah, that's absolutely reasonable. Now, is it above board? Yes, it is. In the same way that a candidate can accept and then decline. I don't recommend it. I think if you do a good job interviewing, I, I say I don't recommend it among candidates because the company has all the power. I think it would very unlikely. Now, it's hard for me sometimes to imagine what other managers' interviewing processes would look like. I've only been using the ones we know how to do for 20 plus years, the behavioral interviewing with something akin to the, behavior, the interview creation tool, but I've never, ever, ever had that problem because the bar I build is so high that we recommend you build it so high that it doesn't I don't think that's going to be a problem. If you felt like there was a problem, yes, sooner is better. Okay, Martin DeVries asked, are there any special considerations for onboarding remote employees? Sure there are. 
One of the biggest changes in management in the last 50 years is the massive increase in remote and virtual teams. For those of you who don't know, it's driven almost entirely by cost savings. It rests on the principle that managers are good and can manage them, but those of you who've been listening for a while know that managers are not good. No offense, dear listeners, but the average manager doesn't know what he or she is doing in the land of the blind. The one-eyed person is king or queen. So, therefore, remote teams usually suck, but it's still cheaper than a team that's co-located. And there's a belief that a a diverse or separated team that has higher quality people on it because we don't have to choose the quality in one particular location leads to better results. But that is completely untrue based on all the data we've seen One, because management is not good enough to bridge the gap of distance. And two, the best person you can find in Atlanta is not, by definition, the best person, better than the person you could find in New York where corporate headquarters is. So that data are inconclusive to negative on the idea. That said, for onboarding somebody remote, we have podcasts about how to hire and how to bring on board a new remote team member, ideally what it means is flying them in. And if that means you have a hiring budget coming up in the year, you need to go find money in your budget or ask your boss for money to get that person to travel in. If you're going to fly them in for an interview, why wouldn't you fly them in for an onboarding piece? You'll have to do some, some massaging of the interviewing or the onboarding template to determine what can be done locally, and what doesn't have to be done locally. I'm sure you can talk to HR professionals that say, this is how we do it for people who are not local. I suspect they've got some go-to-the-front-of-the-line things at uh, employee service centers and the like. Much of it's done on the web now, my experience. And so I think it's more video. I think it's fly-in for meetings. We recommend remote employees see their bosses one to two times a year. For many bosses, it's only one time a year. But yeah, sure. Hope that helps. Okay, Mark, our last one is from Andrew O'Brien. He doesn't really have a question per se, but he has a a shared experience with us that I thought you might want to comment on. Yeah, in fact, he says at the beginning, kudos, Andrew. It's actually less of a question and more sharing our story. To be entirely clear, it's not a question in any way, shape, or form, and it's completely sharing the story, but I think it has a nice lesson in it. Andrew goes on to say that he recently lost a new hire who reported to a manager that reports to me, so that calls back to some of the questions we had earlier. She resigned after only four months with us. In the exit interview, she listed a few reasons. Primary reason was the physical space she had to work in. I got to tell you, you don't know that? How do you not know that? I bet they're not doing one-on-ones. She never felt like part of the team or that she fit in. Oh my gosh, complete fail on the part of the manager. Our department wasn't very welcoming. Complete fail on the part of the manager. The manager is responsible for everything his or her group does or fails to do. How could you not be welcoming after you've put in all the effort to find the best of a pile of good candidates? There was a difference in personality between her and another staff member. Sounds like the manager wasn't seeing things clearly and it wasn't involved. I know, that would have been micromanaging. 
and she wasn't provided sufficient training. And Andrew goes on to say it was an eye-opener and it was a failure. And Andrew, you're not alone. I'm sure I've made more management mistakes and failures and embarrassing ones than you have, more than the vast majority of our audience, I'm sure. But that's what happens. The first time it ever happens to you, it is a lesson in I better interview better and I better onboard better. And if you're going to interview at all, why would you waste? Why would you paint your car a beautiful color and then scratch it with a razor blade? Why would you do that? But that's what hiring to a high standard is, followed by catch as catch can when it comes to inter- to, to onboarding. Don't do it. And onboarding can be previously thought out. At the end of our next uh, onboarding cast, you're going to have a template you can call from. It'll work on any laptop or PC. You can update it. You can make it your own. We'd love for you to tell other people that Manager Tools provided you the template. But you'll be able, not only with a checklist that you can follow, so that you know the basic principles, the basic steps, the basic admin, the basic security, the basic IT, you're all taken care of. But then you can put in other steps, again, like sharing ethics and values and mission and vision and so on. And if it's on a checklist, it's much more likely to get done. And if you have to put your new hire into more situations, talking more often to his or her colleagues, how does that not strengthen the relationship? And tell all your existing employees, the burden of the relationship is on you. You're the one that has the power. You're already here. She's not. He's not yet. When they come in, it's your job not just to do welcoming things, but to make them feel welcome. And I know that's a high bar, and I'm sorry, but that's what it is. This person has said they're interested, has made it to the top of the pile. We've made them an offer. They have accepted. They've told their family. Their family's going through a wrenching time, even if they were struggling before. And I intend to make this a place that they really like coming to work at. And that takes all of us working hard on making them feel welcome and getting them up to speed as quickly as possible. More productivity leads to more profitability for us and for everybody else. Okay, my friend. Thank you. That's great. A little bit different cast, but a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for sending those questions and and the one story. And that that was helpful. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.